Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, check out our website. The website is calvary316.com, .net, .org, .tv. We own them all. We're located off of Highway 316, basically the road that connects I-85 heading north out of Atlanta towards Athens. And so if you're local, check us out. Our service is at 1030. Either way, I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and a genuine way. And I must say, we are in the dog days of summer. Uh, I appreciate your patience. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've run kind of a best of, a series of, uh, of reruns, re-airing several episodes that we thought uh, the audience would enjoy hearing again. Uh, one of the reasons that we did this is so that uh, everyone involved with this radio show could take some time off, could take some vacation. Uh, I got to tell you that me and my family enjoyed a week at the beach. I'll tell you, all I need to relax is no internet, being able to get rid of my phone, and then I need sand. I need to be able to sink my toes into the sand, read a book, play with my kids, and eat good seafood, and we were able to do that, and uh, and just as a result, you know, it's important to take time, and uh, and just get away, to retreat. Uh, in some regards, instead of calling it a vacation, uh, I like to refer to it as a bit of a retreat because you're not abandoning the front lines; you're doing something very specific in the fight. Uh, you have your your mission, your purpose, your calling from God, uh, but when you're in the foxhole. Day after day, night after night, week after week, uh, you can you're just your energies, your your resources uh, end up growing a bit depleted, and so I think it's such a healthy thing, uh, just periodically when when you think you need it uh, to just kind of time out, retreat away from the front line, whatever that happens to be your your normal world, and uh, and just re-energize, take some time, uh, allow some wounds to heal, uh, get nourished refocused and then ultimately you know as with all vacations uh you gotta go home and so uh but you come home refreshed and and just focus and I, mean, I am just so excited with what god is doing through the outlaw radio program and just the unique opportunity that i've been given and what i want to do here coming back uh we've got several original episodes all lined up over the next couple weeks and uh, but i want to start off uh by doing something uh, that you know we, we talk a lot about um, but I think the audience, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you tell people, hey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email, give us a phone call, find us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter. And a lot of you have done that in regards to, you know, our our, our Facebook following is growing, which, which by the way, uh, Facebook, if you just go facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, uh, you can find us super easy. Or you can just find me, which is Zach Adams. My name's Z-A-C-H. Uh, underscore Adams. You can find me on Facebook. Our, our Twitter following is, is slowly growing. Uh, I, I joke around that uh, that it's just Josh Brown and I are like the only two people, and Ed Taylor are the only people on Twitter. Um, and yet, Twitter is is a unique, very cool platform. And so, I, I do encourage you to to find us there. But but one of the the big things that we desire is to hear from you, the listening audience. Um, as as I open every show. You know, we want to we want to speak to real issues, things that you, the audience, are dealing with, things that you're struggling with, questions that you have. Uh, we want this show to be to be different in the sense that it's just it's always remaining relevant to the listener. Now, now that's a difficult thing because a I have no idea who you are, the listener. Uh, you might be driving in your car, uh, listening to the podcast. I have no idea who you are, where you are, how old you are, uh, what your background is, your context, your world. Like, like, there's so much that we just don't know because of the uh, the medium here of communication. Uh, I, I joke around that, that that my audience is the refrigerator sitting across the room. Like, there's an empty chair between me and my refrigerator, and then to the left are my golf clubs, uh, which I long to be out playing golf, but that that's a totally separate issue. Uh, so it's, it's hard for us to know uh, what's going on in your world other than just pure speculation. So a lot of the times uh, the show focuses on things that I find interesting, thinking that if I find them interesting, maybe you do, but maybe that's not always the case. Now, what I want to do today is I want to actually address a few of your 
emailed questions. Uh, over the last few weeks, I think as the show is uh, gaining steam and, and more of you are, are becoming more comfortable uh, with me and, and, and trusting to send in a question, uh, we've had a few. And, and I want to start off by a question that was sent in by Donna. I don't know anything about Donna. I'm going to leave her last name uh, out of this. But, but, but this was her, her subject line was leaving a cult. And let, let me read uh, the message body uh, her, of her email here. And I want to take some time and, and not just address her specific concern, but I want to kind of dovetail off of that to a much larger conversation uh, about God's word. And so um, Donna, she, this is what she wrote, and I'm going to exclude a few details uh, just because I, I don't want to uh, draw the ire of, of anyone specific. I think you'll understand. Uh, she wrote, my husband and I were both raised in what I now know to be a cult religion called the truth by those on the inside, called two-by-twos by those on the outside. Can you advise one on how to leave something that is so obviously false, false doctrine, while still being obedient to the command, I would assume in the Bible, to be in submission? Am I being disloyal to the Savior by remaining in order to keep the peace at home? We are near retirement age and his family and extended family is all very deep in this, to leave, quote, meeting is to lose salvation and to be a pariah. There is a lot on the web. If you Google two by two, uh, they have no defined doctrine. Do not believe that Jesus is God. Teach that Jesus is our, quote, example, and that he came to establish a homeless ministry uh, and the church is to be in the home in a nutshell. Thank you. Um, I, I want to first speak to this particular topic um, from just kind of a, a personal angle. Um, I don't know uh, what it's like to be in a cult. Um, I don't come from that particular context. And, and it seems, Donna, uh, that you've been in this, this situation for some time. And yet one of the things that, that jumps right off the page to me is that while you, were, you and your husband were, were both raised... Um, you've come to discover a few things. Um, you've come to discover that this particular movement, uh, you defined it as a cult. Um, secondly, you've admitted that there's no defined doctrine. You've also conceded that, that they don't believe Jesus is God um, and that their, their teaching is, is somewhat warped. Um, what, what this tells me is a lot about you, um, that... To some degree, as, as you've been in this thing over time, that through the moving of God's Spirit on your own heart, and more than likely you taking the things that you've been taught and, and, and going back to Scripture to look at them, like you've, you've reached several conclusions on your own that you're participating in a cult. You're, you're having fellowship with a group of people that because they don't believe Jesus is God, are deceived. And, and I mean this with a sincerity, with, with a bit of a tenderness, but it's the truth nonetheless. These people are going to go to hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you, you need to understand just from a, a, a very specific angle, one, you know what you're involved in. Like, there's no disillusionment here. You've grown up in it, but you've come to see it for what it is. You know that it's a cult, that what they're teaching is not true, and as a result, it's misleading. The, the second thing that I think is important to point out is that the people that you love and that you care about, um, I, you don't mention whether or not your husband has reached the same conclusions that you have. You, you, you definitely... Um, admit uh, that his family and extended family are very committed to this. They're very deep into this. You know that if you were to uh, start voicing some concerns, start raising issues, if you were to just leave what you know to be wrong, that this would cause real genuine pain. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, you, you even ask, um, you know, can you advise on how to leave something that is obviously false? while being obedient to the command to be in submission. And the reason I bring up your husband is I don't know uh, where your husband is. You don't mention it. 
within this particular email, but I want to address uh, submission. And, and so you know what you're involved with is not true. And you know it's intentionally, or maybe not intentionally, but it's misleading, which means that it's it's developing a false understanding that will ultimately lead people into hell. I, I don't see in any way, shape, or form how the Bible would command you to be in submission to something that is false. When it comes to submission in the Bible, there, no doubt, the Bible speaks a lot about submission, but it speaks of submission in the context of a hierarchy. Like, I'll give you an example in regards to the government. According to Romans chapter 13 and other places, we're to submit to the governing authorities in our lives, whether it be a king or a Caesar, it doesn't really matter. We're to submit to our governing authorities, which means we should pay taxes and we should be involved in the civic process and and we should obey, submit. And yet, according to the argument that the Apostle Paul makes, uh, we submit to our government unless what we're being asked to submit to defies a higher submission. So, for example, if, if our government were to pass some law or some ordinance that was in direct defiance to something that the Bible says, well, then I will not submit. And in a way, I'll rebel, no longer submit, because, because what I'm being asked to do contradicts a higher submission. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. A- applying it to family life. You know, the Bible talks about a wife submitting to her husband, but, but not unless the husband is not... Uh, worthy of submission. If there is physical abuse or verbal abuse, or the husband is asking the wife to do something that is unethical or unbiblical or defies her conscience before God, then it's not her job to submit. It's actually her job to rebel against that authority because there's a higher submission at play. Now, in regards to this particular situation in this dynamic, you're in a cult, you know that, a cult that teaches things that's not true, leading people astray, but but you're in a situation that while you know these things, if you were to rebel against that, if you were to speak up against that, if you were to address these things, it's now going to put you at odds with people that you love. Now, that's tough and that's difficult. And, and I can't even imagine the type of dynamic that you find yourself facing and, and what kind of reciprocating uh, responses and actions and the fallout. But if you truly love your husband, if you truly love his family, then don't you have a higher obligation not to keep the peace, but to speak the truth, especially when you have eternity at stake? Yes, you might lose earthly relationships, but you're going to lose them in eternity if you don't voice up. And beyond that, you're subjecting yourself to something you know is not true, which means you're capitulating to it. And in a sense, I think that that's bad for your own soul. That that's not a healthy dynamic for you. You're intentionally placing yourself into a context where you're being fed and you're consuming, knowing it, poison. So not only is it not helpful for you, but submitting for just the sake of submitting to keep the peace, it's not actually helpful for for those you care about. And in the end, it's not what God is asking you to do because who has given you this awakening and why do you think God has awoken your spirit to these things for you to just sit idly by and do nothing? Maybe God is calling you to be the voice of reason, to be salt and to be light. Now that might not be met with welcomeness. It, It might be met with some hostility, but could it be that that you're being called and these things are being stirred in your heart for such a time as this. Well, this particular topic, and, and, and Donna, if, if there's any follow-up, please reach out, leads me to kind of a, a much larger conversation about, about how we approach God's Word and the importance of that. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. 
This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. In today's episode, we're uh, addressing some of your questions, your feedback, the listeners' questions. And in our first block, I, I kind of open things up by uh, reading for you a question sent in uh, by a, a lady named Donna who is struggling with how to handle exiting uh, a cult, something that she knows is a cult, something she knows is teaching false doctrine, something she knows is, is false. And and that's a very difficult thing. And, and for her, we, we pray for you, Donna. We really do. But, but I, I want to kind of correct maybe a misconception that you have and a lot of our audience has about challenging leadership. You know, I think to some degree we have developed a false uh, idea within church circles that it's it's wrong to challenge authority, especially if that th- authority is teaching God's word or has this particular platform, that, that it's wrong to challenge the authority of your church. And yet, I think that that's a crock, honestly. And, and, and not only that, but I think it's completely unbiblical. I think it's your responsibility uh, as a Christian not just to make sure that those in leadership of your church are handling God's word in a prudent and responsible way, but I think it's, it's incumbent upon everyone to be very careful who you allow the position in your life of teaching you God's word. You should pick your teacher's very carefully. In June, a few years ago, Gallup released an interesting poll that that really should have sent shockwaves throughout all of Christianity, but the sad state of affairs is that that the poll Gallup did went largely unnoticed. Now, I think it's probably that the title of the report failed to garner attention because it, it really only served to reinforce with what many in the evangelical community already assumed— about their fellow Americans. The title of the report read this way. Three in four in U.S. still believe, still see the Bible as the word of God. Now that sounds like a wonderful, a wonderful title. should be very encouraging. But the problem is that the, the real shocking nature of the poll and the reason that it's wise for us to consider it was buried deep in the details. You kind of had to read through it to really get the, the overarching point why it should be concerning. Now, if you read this Gallup report in its entirety, this is what you discover. That while 75% of Americans view the Bible as the word of God, check this out, only 20% of Christians believe the Bible should be taken literally. And according to this Gallup study, that number is down 10 points since 1970. Let me give you some of the, the particulars here. 27%, only 27% agreed with this statement. That the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally. 31% believed that the Bible is the actual word of God with multiple interpretations possible. Additionally, 31% believe that the Bible is inspired by God, but not to be taken literally. And 7% believe that the Bible was an ancient book of fables history, and precepts. That's of Christians. And 4% within the poll had no opinion. And it gets worse than that. If you limit the, the four options to three, like if you remove uh, the category actual word of God, multiple interpretations possible, the numbers move disproportionately the wrong direction. If you, if you remove the multiple interpretations option, believes 
that the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally. It, it means it moves from 27% to just 34%. That's just seven points. 21% increase. Those that believe that the Bible is inspired by God but should not be taken literally rose from 31% to 52% if you remove multiple interpretations as being a possibility. That's a that's an increase of 41%. And not only that, but the belief that the Bible is just an ancient book of fables, histories, or precepts went from 10%, 7% to 10%. That's a 30% increase. Now, the church, we as the church, we should be very alarmed that while three out of four Christians in the United States believe the Bible is God's word, less than one of those three actually hold to a literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a literalist. And as a literalist, I will admit that the Bible employs all kinds of literary techniques. Parables, metaphors, songs, poems, allegories, similes, hyperbole, even irony. But with that being said, I, I hold firm to the belief that when such techniques are used by the biblical authors, they're very clear they're doing so. Like, for example, Jesus is clear when he's using a parable, not to be taken literally, but to make a point. The book of Revelation and all the, 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 the moments that it, that it says it's, 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 it's imagery, it says like or as, it lets you know. You see, of the three options that are presented in the Gallup poll, the idea that the Bible is inspired by God, but not to be taken literally, is from my estimation, the most disingenuous and dangerous of all interpretations. Like if you abandon the idea that the Bible is to be taken literally, unless the author says otherwise, like here's the, here's the issue. You're left with no basis for interpreting any scripture as ever being literal. Like, and this has devastating consequences. If the reader of the Bible becomes the final arbitrator of the text, whether it's literal or not, and not the author of the text, then the authority of God's word becomes relegated to just the perspective of an individual reader. And what results? Christianity just joins the rising tide of postmodern relativism because the truth it's impossible to ascertain. Everyone's opinion about a text is their opinion, and it's true, meaning do we ever get to truth? And that gives way, friends, to cults and to false teaching. And yet we're to challenge that. Over and over and over again, the Bible gives us examples of, of show yourself approved unto God. Test, try, weigh. One of my favorite passages to this topic is a story we find in Acts chapter 17 about the Bereans. Let me, let me just kind of give you a little bit of scripture reading here to set the stage. We're told that the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So, so they left Thessalonica, where Paul and Silas had had this ministry. They had been debating the Jews, and it had ended up in a mob like a total mob. There's a group of thugs searching for Paul and Silas. It's not good. So the brethren decide it would be prudent for, for these guys to, to bail, to ditch. They send them away by night. And then Paul and Silas travel 40 miles southwest to a town known as Berea. Now, according to the passage, as Paul, as he had done in Thessalonica before and really everywhere he went, when he arrives in the town of Berea, he begins his evangelical outreach by going into the temple of the Jews. Now, in verse 11 of Acts 17, we're told that these, speaking of the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Now, Luke he does something interesting, and Luke is the author of the book of Acts, but he, he contrasts. He's setting up a contrast between the reaction of those within this synagogue in the town of Berea that's made up of Jews and Gentile proselytes with the reaction that Paul had gotten to those Jews in Thessalonica. And, and Luke's conclusion here, it's interesting, his conclusion was that these Bereans were, quote, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now, in the Greek, the word we have fair-minded, it means well-born or to be noble-minded. <laughs> 
if you're a student of these things, you should know that that's the only time that word fair-minded is used in the Acts, in the book of Acts. It's the only time that word's used. Now, after establishing the contrast, Luke continues by explaining the two things that made the Bereans so much different than the Thessalonians. Like what made them fair-minded? And this is important for our topic uh, about challenging what we hear. Luke says that one, in contrast to the Thessalonians, they received the word of God with all readiness. And that's great. Literally, readiness of mind. When it came to the things of God, the men and women who made up this synagogue demonstrated an openness for exposition. They had an eagerness to receive the truth of God's word as Paul and Silas are teaching it. They possess a hunger for Bible teaching. And yet, this is important. While they received the word of God with all readiness, this zeal was also tethered to something important because secondly, the second contrast, is that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things that Paul and Silas were teaching them were so. Like on one side of the equation, the Bereans were excited to hear all the things Paul was saying from scripture. And Paul was was the master Bible teacher, right? But on the flip side to that, the Bereans didn't allow their enthusiasm to just lead them into this place of blind acceptance. Like in order, Luke tells us, to determine whether these things were so, what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily on their own to find out. And you should note, Christian, this approach, the approach of the Bereans, is worthy of our emulation. While they were open to instruction, they were also free thinkers. Like they didn't blindly accept the words of a preacher as if they were mindless zombies or or what one would want you to do within a cult, to not think for yourself. But they also didn't immediately dismiss Paul's words as being, you know, pridefully above their their enlightenment. They listened to what Paul had to say, and then they went to the scriptures to measure his words with truth. Well, don't go anywhere. We'll pick up that thought. Hear more with the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach will be back with more in just a little bit. Thanks for listening to this first half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Again, don't go anywhere. Part two's coming up. We're going to talk more about what it means to judge anything that you hear. Be very careful to not just believe what you hear, even from the pulpit, even here on Outlaw Radio. You need to search the Bible for yourself. Again, don't go anywhere. Zach will be back in just a few minutes. Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Pastor Zach Adams. Zach is going to continue talking uh, with us about judging what we hear. Here's Zach. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about our biblical responsibility to challenge leaders, especially those that hold a position of teaching God's Word. I think it's sad, but in a lot of Christian circles, uh, it's frowned upon to challenge what's being said from the pulpit. Now, I'm not saying to be rude or disrespectful, but like the Bereans we find in Acts chapter 17, on one aspect, we're to receive the word of God with all readiness or with readiness of mind, but we're also to search out the scriptures on our own to find out whether what we're being taught is true. Like the Bereans respectfully listened to what the apostle Paul had to say, and then they went to the scriptures to measure his words with the truth. They were ready to learn, which demonstrated humility, that they didn't know it all, right? That they needed teachers. But they were also prudent to evaluate what they were being taught. And there is a lot of wisdom there. Let me give you two reasons you should use scripture. What the Bible says, not what someone says of the Bible, but what the Bible actually says. Two reasons you should use scripture to evaluate to weigh, to judge everything said from the pulpit. First, using scripture to evaluate the words of a preacher will help you determine if what you're being taught is true or heretical. Scripture gives you the plumb line that you can take whatever you're being taught to see if it measures up. Now, let me say this. If you hear something on this show that contradicts scripture, 
You should absolutely challenge me. But you should also do the same with the things said behind the pulpit of the church that you go to. It's your biblical responsibility to make sure what you're being taught, the doctrine you're being taught, is consistent with the scriptures. Now, it's a sad but true reality. Because there is power in the word of God, pastors have and do use scripture to justify all types of heresy. These are how cults develop. Just the twisting of the truth into a lie. You look back at almost everything Satan says. Satan quotes scripture to Jesus to justify things. He goes back to Eve in the garden. He says, has not God said Satan is slippery and he'll twist the words of God in such a way that you think it sounds right, but it's not. Like, remember, Satan even entices Jesus into sin using scripture. That's why you've got to weigh and judge and be, be wise. Peter, he recognized this inescapable reality when he guaranteed in 2 Peter 2.1, he says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who, who brought them and, and bring on themselves swift destruction. This is why in 2 Timothy 2, Paul exhorts Timothy to remind the church of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, but being diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And then here's the kicker, rightly dividing the word of truth. So first, using scripture to evaluate the words of a preacher will help you determine whether what you're being taught is true or heretical, false. But secondly, using scripture to evaluate the words of a preacher will help you determine if what's being said is the truth of God or that man's opinion. Now, help you understand that there is a fundamental difference between a pastor who teaches from the Bible with the pastor who simply teaches the Bible. I'm not splitting hairs. That, that I'm really meaning what I'm saying, and, I, and I'll repeat it. There's a difference between a pastor who teaches from the Bible and the pastor who simply teaches the Bible. Sadly, it's commonplace in our Christian culture that instead of teaching the Bible, and what I mean by that is, is expositional sermons, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as Pastor Chuck said, simply teaching God's word, simply laying out the scripture, laying out the truth, articulating what the Bible says. No conjecture, no interjection, but just presenting it as it is. That instead of doing that, many pastors... You know what they end up doing? They end up presenting topically based sermons where they use the Bible to validate a point they want to make. There is a danger to that. Don't get me wrong. You should evaluate expositional teachers because though a pastor may open the Bible and teach through the Bible doesn't guarantee they're actually teaching the Bible. I know a lot of expositional Bible teachers I totally disagree with and I think they're heretics. But that being said, while topical message, yeah, they can have an appropriate place in the life of a church, it's simply a reality that it's much easier for the lines to be blurred between a preacher pointing to Scripture for his truth or the preacher using scriptural truth to make his own point. There's a difference. Let me repeat that. Between a preacher pointing to scriptural truth or the preacher using scriptural truth to make his own point. This is, this is why you... You should be Berean. You should evaluate what you're being, you're being taught, what's being said. Now, though you may not be able to control what your pastor says from the pulpit, and that's true, don't forget, it is your right and biblical responsibility to evaluate the message that's coming from that pulpit and then wisely make a decision. Are you going to allow that man the all-important task of teaching you the Word of God? You see, that is your right. Yes, you should respect the man behind the pulpit. Yes, you should uh, support him. There's a place to submit, to follow his lead, understanding that calling and that position and the weight that comes with that. But you, as a Christian, you have the biblical right to make a decision who you're going to allow the important role of communicating God's word to you and your family. And if they're not teaching you the Bible, 
but they're telling you what they think about the Bible. There, there's a danger there. And this is, this is what ties into cults. If you're being, if you're giving someone the position of, of, of feeding you poison, then there's a, there's a danger there. Now, now I want to get real practical. Real practical. Let me give you seven early warning signs that it might be time for you to find a different preacher. And I don't mean for these to be funny in any way, but, but I really believe that this is probably true. Like seven signs, the guy you're giving that position in your life of articulating God's word, like that, why that guy might not be right. Number one, the preacher never opens the Bible during the Sunday service. If you go to a church and the preacher never opens the Bible, During the Sunday service, that should be an early warning sign that you should find somebody else to be teaching you, unless they've memorized like the entire book of Ephesians, and then that's kind of the outlier. Two, the preacher doesn't encourage the congregation to study the Bible on their own. I think that that's such an important thing. If you go to a church where the pastor tells you what the Bible is saying, but never encourages you to study the Bible on your own, That would be the equivalent of having a mom that gives you one mill and never encourages you to have another one later. It's a warning sign. Three, the preacher rarely uses scripture to substantiate his position. So you come to a Bible, quote, Bible study, and the the preacher just rants and, and rails for 35, 40 minutes about whatever topic he's wanting to rant and rail about. And it might sound great, but you kind of step back and you're like, he's never used scripture to substantiate any of the points that he's been making. That's, that's a dangerous place. Four, the preacher openly contradicts essential Christian doctrines. And, and often this happens uh, very subtly. He doesn't come right out and do this, but he asks questions without answers. One of the masters of this was a guy by the name of Rob Bell, who loved to just ask questions. Like, well, would it, would it really matter if, if, uh, if, you know, that Jesus was born of a virgin? Like, what if we had a dad named Steve? What would be the big deal? Well, there's major big deals. It's a problem. Number five. The preacher de-emphasizes core scriptural concepts like sin and judgment, meaning you go to to church and you never hear about hell, you never hear about sin, you never hear about judgment. You're only getting fluff, sugar, and candy. Number six, the preacher spends his time pushing an, an agenda. And man, you get this a lot within churches. It's a political agenda, or it's an anti-abortion agenda, or it's a ranting on the gays agenda. Number seven. The preacher reacts poorly when asked to validate his biblical stance. These are seven early warning signs that you might need to find a different preacher. Well, we're running against a hard break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show, and we'll be right back. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. In our previous block, I gave you seven early warning signs that you might need to find a different preacher, a different person to hold this position of authority in the life of you and your family. Let me quickly recap them in case you you didn't hear them. One, the preacher never opens the Bible during the Sunday service. Two, the preacher doesn't encourage the congregation to study the Bible on their own. Three, the preacher rarely uses Scripture to substantiate his positions. Four, the preacher openly contradicts essential Christian doctrines, or at least questions them. Five, the preacher de-emphasizes core scriptural concepts. He, He never talks about sin or judgment or hell, things that are very important. Number six, the preacher spends his time pushing an agenda, often ends up being political. And number seven, the preacher reacts poorly when asked to validate 
his biblical stance on something. But, but in kind of contrast to that, let, let me give you here, just with the time we have, like eight characteristics of a, of a pastor worthy of the position. Let, let me flip it. Like, here's eight things that, that if, if, if this, you can attribute these things to your pastor that you got a good one. One, his sermons are biblically founded. That's a good sign. He genuinely teaches the Bible. Gives you the meat of God's word. Sure, some sugar. Everyone loves dessert, but you're getting steak and potatoes. Two, his sermons are more interested in truth than mass appeal. And I think that is so relevant for today's culture. Because the truth doesn't always sell. As a matter of fact, the truth doesn't have mass appeal because it totally offends anyone that doesn't accept it. Like the only intolerant position in the world is, is the truth because it stands in contrast to a myriad of, of falsehoods. Have you ever noticed that, that falsehoods are very tolerant of other falsehoods, but they're intolerant of truth because the truth is intolerant of falsehoods. I know, brain meld, right? So one, his sermons are biblically, biblically founded. Two, his sermons are more interested in truth than mass appeal. Three, you know you've got a good pastor when his sermons demonstrate hard work, creativity, and diligent study. Now, you might not have the most eloquent, funny pastor in the world. As a matter of fact, he, he might not be super engaging and he might be tough to listen to. But if you're sitting there and you think to yourself, man, this guy is boring. But you know what? He works really hard at being boring. And, you know, he's working hard to be creative and he's diligent in his study. Then you could, you could do wrong with a lot of other pastors. Number four, his sermons display an openness and, hum and, and a humility to be taught by others. You know, one of the things that, that, kind, of, that kind of always sends up a red flare is when I'm listening to someone um, who is novel to be novel. That, that they think that they're just the best thing since sliced bread and that the, the point that they're making is just groundbreaking. There, there's an old adage that is, that is so spot on. If it's new, it's not true. The, the Bible has been taught on by the brightest people on the planet for 2,000 years. If your pastor comes up with some novel new angle, it's probably just wrong. Or he stole it from someone and it isn't giving that person credit. I love to include quotes because listen, if David Guzik had a great thought, I'll attribute it to David Guzik because I know that if it was a great thought he got from Charles Spurgeon, he'll attribute it to Spurgeon. And if it was a great thought Spurgeon got from someone else, he'll there's a humility, an openness. If you're wanting to sit there and be taught by your pastor, it's nice to know your pastor is sitting someplace being taught by someone else. Number five, you know you got a good pastor if his sermons and his life are consistent with one another. If the man practices what he preach, what he preaches. What a sad indictment of, 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 of so many celebrity pastors who, who on one, one side of the equation, they tell you how you should live, while at the same time not living that way themselves. Sermons in his life are consistent. Number six, his sermons do more to glorify Jesus than draw attention to himself. One of the things that I absolutely adored about Pastor Chuck Smith, who started the Calvary Chapel movement, is that any time Pastor Chuck came to the pulpit, you know, the crowd would start clapping out of respect and honor. I mean, he started the movement, a great man of God, used an incredible, like someone to be admired, a role model. But Pastor Chuck would always dispel the clapping and the adulation, and he would point up to the, to the sky, exhorting everyone else to point up as well, reminding everyone that it's about Jesus glorified and no man. There's only one man we follow, Jesus Jesus the Christ. So his sermons do more to glorify Jesus than draw attention to himself. We need a lot more of that in today's culture, I think. Number seven, his sermons encourage the congregation 
to a deeper level of personal study. You know, one of the some of the best Bible studies that I've ever been in are the ones that when they're done, I just can't wait to get home and just dive in even deeper. Like, like those that just stir something within you that wants you to dive into God's word all anew and afresh on your own, that, 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 that spawn you, stir deeper study, a deeper level that wants you to go deeper. And finally, number eight, you know you've got a good pastor when his sermons are transparent, sourced, and open to further discourse. I, one of my pet peeves is when pastors use statistics or they tell stories or they have anecdotes and they, did no, they took no time to actually fact check the statistic. Uh, there's one Calvary Chapel pastor that's notorious for this. Notorious. It's, it's actually become a game, and I hate to admit this, but it's become a game anytime uh, me and a couple of my friends, anytime we're at a pastor's conference and he just starts spitting out stuff, we're sitting there with Google fact-checking the reality he's wrong. Like he's not even quoting correct statistics or they were statistics that were true in the 50s. Like if you're a preacher, please know this, and this is kind of a side point. Um, everyone in your congregation has a device with the world's information on it. They can fact-check you immediately. And if you're fact-checked on just a stupid story that's not true, then it's harder for people to take you seriously on the things that they should accept as truth. Now, let me just kind of recap. Eight characteristics of a pastor worthy of the position. One, his sermons are biblically founded. Two, his sermons are more interested in truth than mass appeal. Three, his sermons demonstrate hard work, creativity, and diligent study. Four, his sermons display an openness and humility to be taught by others. Five, his sermons and his life are consistent with one another. Six, his sermons do more to glorify Jesus than draw attention to himself. Seven, his sermons encourage the congregation into a deeper level of personal study. And number eight, his sermons are transparent, sourced, and open to further discourse. You know, in the result of Paul's teaching and the approach of these Bereans, we're told that, that many of them believe. They believe, like, you need to be a Berean. Well, you have a responsibility to inspect and evaluate and test everything that you hear coming from the pulpit. You should come ready to receive the word of God with all readiness. And that's my final point. Two questions, friend. When you come to church, do you come with an expectation that the God of the universe is wanting to speak to you? If you don't come with that expectation and it's because nothing serious ever happens behind that pulpit, find another church. Find another teacher because God wants to speak to you and he does through his word. But the second question, <laughs> well, are you willing to respond to what he has to say? Like, don't forget, the examination of the Bereans was set in contrast with the Thessalonians. The Bereans were respectful to listen to what Paul had to say, to test it with the scripture, but in the end, when they tested it and they found it to be true, they accepted it. They were willing to change. Like, if you find yourself constantly being filled with a negativity over what's being said behind the pulpit on Sunday, like, it's one of two things. One, you need another preacher. Or if you're taking what is truth as a personal attack, here's the other angle. The problem might not be the preacher, but the problem might be your resistance to change. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, contact your local station and tell them that you're very thankful that they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your area. Secondly, go to our website, outlawradio.org, outlawradio.org. From the site, you can access our podcast, which is available on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety or all of our previous episodes. And then you can also find us on Twitter at Radio underscore Outlaw. Send us an email. Find us on Facebook. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. 
To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.